Episode 52, Jessica Gendron, the Center for Leadership Excellence. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, it's Nikki, and we're back on the set of Gut Plus Science and with another powerful topic. So let's go. Most employers want to just check the compliance box to confirm legally that they are addressing sexual harassment, gender bias, discriminations, and very important topics like that. We have our our employees watch like 30-minute videos or very terrible slideshows that have voiceover content and go in one ear and right out the other. So let's stop any of that checking the box stuff that we do and start creating a workplace that is safe, inclusive, and respectful. All of this really impacts employee engagement in such big ways, and we're going to talk about that today. Today, we have Jessica Gendron, president for the Center for Leadership Excellence with us, and she's passionate and experienced on this topic. Here's just a couple of things that she told me in prep for our episode today. This is what Jessica said. I am driven to create gender equality in the workplace and advance more women in business and nonprofit leadership. There is still not enough of us climbing the ladder or at the top. I am driven to create opportunities for people from social groups that don't represent white, straight, Christian male perspectives in business and nonprofit leadership. Diversity of voices at the leadership table make companies and the world better. The system is rigged to continually advance people that are like the current leadership, and I am driven to disrupt that, help individuals get the coaching, training, and support, and mentorship to advance up the ladder. So with that, I am really pumped to dive right in. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Jessica, welcome to the show. Let's level set to kick this off. How big of a deal is workplace harassment today? Like, How is it affecting the the marketplace, especially in the talent world and the challenges we're having today? Yeah, so I think that in in the talent world, we've been talking about workplace harassment for a really long time, but I think the rise of the Me Too movement has really put a brighter light on workplace harassment, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue. I think the challenge with it is the only data that we have around workplace harassment is whether or not people make a claim whether or not they report that something has happened. And what we know is that most people just don't report these incidences that are happening in the workplace. As of recent dates, though, I think what we're seeing is that people are feeling more emboldened to be able to report things that are happening in the workplace. From 2017 to 2018, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, had a 50% increase in the claims related to sexual harassment. So We've seen a major jump in claims related to that. So this is very timely and it's stuff that people are talking about. And I think it's becoming more illuminated as the shift in the landscape starts to become more towards building inclusive workplaces, people feeling safe in the workplace, the rise of the Me Too movement, greater diversity in the workforce in the United States. And I think all of those things are sort of the perfect storm right now. 
Yeah. And just a great time for you to be on the show. I think what would be important is thinking about outside of maybe a severe sexual harassment issue. There are so many forms of harassment. And sometimes we sweep them under the rug and we're like, yeah, that's not a big deal. And don't address those things. Could you maybe talk about maybe some different examples of things that maybe people aren't realizing like that's harassment and it's really affecting engagement and overall health of people? Yeah. So when we look at harassment, sexual harassment is obviously the one that gets the most attention because it's the one that often gets reported and adjudicated most frequently. I think when we look at harassment, though, it can be anything from gender bias that happens in the workplace where, you know, we know that that women don't often get feedback in the same way that men get feedback or that a supervisor will call younger women in the workplace, girls, and to some people that's offensive. And so, you know, there's all these instances related to gender bias, but then there's also religion and age and gender identification and sexual orientation and race and ethnicity and sexual or socioeconomic status. And so we have all these different places where people can experience harassment or discrimination in the workplace, and they show up in a number of ways And they show up in ways that most people don't even realize are offensive or discriminatory. So an instance with a blind man who said, people always raise their voice when they talk to me. And it's a little, it's offensive to me because I can hear them. It's just, I can't see them. And so people don't even think about that when they're talking to someone who might be blind and don't realize that what they're doing is offensive or Uh, There was a story on NPR about a gentleman who doesn't work on Saturdays because of his religious beliefs and worked at an organization. And for six years, um, they respected that. And then six years into his job, they scheduled him on a Saturday and he didn't show up. And on the Monday when he showed up for work, he got fired. And the, the case is now going all the way to the Supreme Court because because of religious freedom. And so there's there's all these little ways and big ways that show up in terms of harassment for people in the workplace that we often don't think about and people are pretty blind to. And so let me kind of tie together, you know, not that it's probably needed because those of you listening really get this, I hope, you know, when it comes to employee engagement, which is the reason for this show, this show is here to bring stories, tools, strategies to help leaders make better decisions so that people want to come to work on Mondays and they are engaged in their, in the work that they're doing and they're innovating and being their very best, all of that, right? So here's the reason why it's so important to be checking in with people regularly and having authentic conversations is because the examples that Jessica just gave could very easily happen on a Wednesday when Tuesday they were engaged. Wednesday that happens. And by the weekend, they're spending the weekend looking for a new job um, or, you know, even worse. And so just, you know, to kind of tie that together about how important it is to keep our eye on this because it is a direct correlation to disengagement. Jessica, I want to, you know, work on the shift that we have to make mentally as leaders on this topic. And I want you to cover that ground from all the generations of leaders out there right now. We have five generations in the workforce right now, many different generations of leaders. So help us with the mental shift that you suggest leaders make. So I think that the mentality has always been, if it's not being reported, it's not a problem. And I think that that's the that's the place that most organizations have lived. As long as it's not reported, as long as we don't get sued, we're not going to worry about it. We're going to do legally what we need to to protect ourselves. We're going to check the compliance box through 
an online training course around sexual harassment or workplace harassment. And we're going to do the bare minimum. You know, claims for the EEOC were up 50% in the last year, but that represents $50 million in settlement victims have gotten from companies. And so $70 million were issued in 2018. So there's a financial burden that's coming on companies if we don't make this shift. And I think we can't just play the game of it's not a problem if it's as long as people are reporting it. You know, we do a survey where we investigate in organizations if there is sexual harassment, gender bias, and discrimination based on a variety of different things happening within their organization. And the number one response we get to organiz- get from organizations when we're asking them about this stuff is, I don't want to know. I don't want to uncover any of these problems. I don't want to open that can of worms. And I think for the longest time, organizations have been so afraid of what sits just below the surface and what's happening to their employees on a day-to-day basis that we've just done the bare minimum and tried not to rustle up any dust. And I think we just cannot have that mentality any longer. We've really got to think about how do we build a culture where people are respected and embraced for their differences? And how do we build a culture in our organization that allows people to feel safe speaking up when these things occur to them or another colleague? And how do we build a culture of accountability that holds people accountable when they're acting inappropriately? And I just don't think that that's where a lot of organizations are. Some organizations are doing a better job than others, but I don't think anybody's hitting the nail on the head right now. Wow, that's that's a wonderful way to lead us into this, you know, next question around strategy and tactics, I guess. When and maybe share some stories about companies that are doing this great. How do we create safer, more inclusive workplaces? It's got to be a leadership priority, and I think the organizations that are doing a really good job or are starting to to move the needle in these areas, it's a leadership priority and the leadership has tied it to the business objectives. Roche Diagnostics decided that they wanted more women in their organization and they wanted more women in leadership in their organization. And they tied that to business objectives where it wasn't just this nice goal that one of the leaders had. They tied it to outcomes that divisions, departments, business units had to achieve that were tied to their business objectives. And so it wasn't a nice to, it was a must have. And they've been very successful in advancing women in their organization because they tied it to those objectives, but also because it was a priority of the leadership. And so you have organizations like that that are being really intentional at advancing people in their organization. But I think we've also got to look at how it infiltrates every layer of the organization. When we're talking about inclusive and respectful workplaces, this is cultural. And we know that culture takes a lot of time to create and a lot of time to develop. And it has to be in every layer, in every process, in every human system in the organization. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of intention where it's not just this goal or this mission that we put up on a website and talk about once a year at our annual all staff meeting. It's something that's tied to outcomes that every leader, every department, every division has to achieve. And I think more than anything, it's got to be tied to so much of the HR human systems. 
you know, we're thinking about how do we tie it to policy? How do we tie it to training? How do we tie it to the way that we hire people? How do we tie it to the way that we evaluate performance? How do we tie it to people when we evaluate them for promotion? How do we tie it to succession planning? And we've got to think through all of those layers because that's how it becomes cultural is when it is in every layer of the organization and in everything that we do. You know, organizations, so many organizations have these policies that say we have a zero tolerance policy on workplace harassment. Yet when there are problems, the way they handle those issues don't say to the employees, we have a zero tolerance policy, where someone who might have harassed a fellow coworker just gets moved to a different department, or that employee gets moved under that supervisor's supervision. And that doesn't say to an organization or to employees that we have a zero tolerance policy for harassment. It says, we'll move you around, but we're not going to, we're not going to handle it the way that we say we're going to handle it. And so I think that organizations really have to think through that stuff and they have to think about not only do we say what we're about and we build the systems that enforce what we're about, but we actually activate on those systems that reinforce what we say we're about. And that's honestly hard for a lot of organizations. And it takes a lot of time to move that needle. And so, you know, you just got to really think about it in that way. I like your point a lot. I, I like the example of Roche, where you talked about they're tying their strategy to the business outcomes. And it's not a check the box thing. That's what I feel a lot of times, whether it's the clause of, about, you know, zero tolerance that's written in your handbook, or, you know, you're just trying to check the box to make sure that your stats look like they need to be. Let The shift, like you said, is let's tie it to the business outcomes so that people get excited about it and they can really see the vision of why we're doing this. So to lead, you know, from that question, how can companies help, you know, women, minorities advance in leadership without it feeling like a quota system affirmative action? So I think that we're scared of that. I think that that's a fear of organizations that, oh gosh, if we start just tapping people who aren't white and tapping people who aren't male for leadership, that it'll start to feel like quotas or affirmative action. And the reality is, is that we have to understand everything that's at play. There are mountains of unconscious bias that exist in these large corporate structures and even in small corporate structures, because we are so unaware to how we naturally tend to certain people. We naturally and unknowingly will gravitate to people who are like us, people that we know. And if I'm a white, straight Christian male who comes from a upper middle class background, those are the type of individuals that I feel most connected to. And so I'll gravitate to younger white straight Christian males from an upper middle class background and seek to mentor them because I see pieces of myself in them. And so this pipeline of talent gets perpetuated to mirror the people that are in leadership because we naturally gravitate to people like us. So if we know that, and if we know that leaders are naturally going to tap and mentor people that they see themselves in, then we need to find alternative people that maybe aren't like our current leadership and tap those individuals a little bit more intentionally, knowing that they're not going to get tapped because they're less like the leaders. So we have to look at who are people that are not like our current leadership, that are showing us that they have high potential, that are showing us that they have drive and that they're innovative or that have the qualities we're looking for in potential leaders 
And how can we invest in those individuals as well to help them get training and resources that maybe they're not getting to advance in the organization as well? When we look at, there's all this research about the way men are evaluated versus the way women are evaluated. And traditionally, men are evaluated based on their potential, what they potentially could achieve. And women are more frequently evaluated on things that they've actually achieved as opposed to potential. So when we're looking at promotion or when we're looking at succession planning, we're more likely to pipeline a man because he has potential. And we're more likely to pipeline a woman because she's done all this stuff. And so we have to know that stuff when we come to the table to talk about who we're going to pipeline in succession or who we're going to promote, knowing that that bias exists. And when we look at, you know, women are evaluated more frequently on their communication style than their male peers, and males are more frequently given feedback with specific things that they can do better and specific things that they need to improve on. And so we have to know that when we're going into performance evaluations, that that, that bias exists so that we can correct ourselves to ensure that across the board, we're applying universal principles for how we're evaluating people, how we're promoting people, and how we're providing leadership succession to people. So what about this? Uh, Talk about unconscious bias. It's a hot topic today. How do you explain it so that we can make sure everybody's on the same page? And then what should companies be doing about this? So unconscious bias is essentially... Your family, your religion, your faith, your upbringing, your life experiences teach us what we believe about the world. Those things could be right, they could be wrong, but they are true for you. And those things impact how we interact with everybody on a day-to-day basis. So I think what we have to do with unconscious bias is we have to we have to understand that it exists and that we're not going to be able to know, oh, I have unconscious bias about people who are Asian or, oh, I have unconscious bias about people who are Republican. We just all have it. And I think what we have to come to the table to do is to understand we all show up with judgments and assumptions. And when we react to people in certain ways, we have to do a self-check to say, am I reacting to this person based on facts that I have, experiences that I have with this individual specifically Or am I reacting to this person in this way because of judgments and assumptions I'm making about them or experiences I've had with people who are like them in the past? Thank you for clarifying that. I'm really glad that we talked about it today on this episode. What are companies doing right when it comes to the training and initiatives that they're doing around sexual harassment, gender bias, diversity, inclusion, and especially tap into the things that they're doing wrong so that our listeners can hear some of those things and be like, ooh, we need to change that. So give us kind of the rundown. Well, I'll start with the wrong because I'd rather end with the, the happy stuff. So the wrong stuff is what most what most organizations are doing. They're doing a 20-minute sexual harassment or workplace harassment training online for their employees, or they're doing a one-hour workshop at new employee orientation. And then they maybe do a refresher once a year if we're lucky. Employees don't actually watch the videos. They They do other things while it's playing in the background, or they make fun of it because it's so cheesy, they can't even handle it. And I think that is 
not sending the message to the employees that this is an important topic and it is something that we care about as a company and as a leadership. And so we have to think a lot more strategically about how we talk about harassment in the workplace in a way that feels more personal and a little bit less, watch this 20-minute video on your computer, and then it'll tell us that you checked the box in our HRIS system, and then I won't bug you for the rest of the year. And what we have to do is we have to think about how do we create dialogue on teams about creating inclusive and safe workplaces for our coworkers? And how do we create an environment of accountability where people feel safe reporting this stuff, but also confronting each other about it. And so I think it starts with leadership training. How do we train our managers and supervisors to see this stuff when it happens, pinpoint potential problems, and address those issues as they're arising in the teams that they're leading? And then how do we teach managers and supervisors then to take it to their teams and have dialogue about differences? Whether it's religion or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status or race or gender, how do we have conversations like that in our teams where we're able to discuss differences and how those differences make our team more valuable, not more complicated? So I want to go into wrapping this up with your advice. So two parts. What advice would you give someone who wants to advance further into leadership? And what advice would you give a leader who wants to build greater diversity on their team? So for people who want to advance more in leadership, I think the one thing I will say to you is that it is not your supervisor or manager's job to keep track of all of your accomplishments and to pat you on the back and tell you what a great job you did for all of the things and here's your promotion and your raise. It is our individual responsibility to keep track of the successes and the way we have helped advance our organization and to bring those to our managers and supervisors and say, here is all the stuff that I've done this year, and here's all the stuff I've done to advance our organization and our business objectives. That is our individual responsibility. So we have to be advocates for ourselves. And when we begin to advocate for ourselves with our managers and supervisors with data that says, I'm adding value to the organization, here are the things that I did within my responsibility, and here are the things that I did that were in addition to my responsibility that added value to our company, but then also to be able to come to the table and say, I need more training here, or I want resources here, or I would like some coaching because I'd like to take on more responsibility, we have to be willing to ask for that stuff ourselves because our managers aren't sitting around thinking, hmm, how can I make Jessica a better leader today? And how can I help her get promoted? Most managers aren't thinking about all of their employees in that way on a day-to-day basis. I think on the other side for companies that want to make their organizations more diverse, I think that they have to look at how they manage their hiring, and how they manage their culture. So it's one thing to intentionally hire more people that are not of white male Christian backgrounds, but it's another thing to have a culture that allows them to feel safe once they join the team. You know, there's there's so many instances where an organization will hire someone of color or they'll hire 
a female in a male dominated organization, or they'll hire someone who's gay in an organization that's predominantly straight white people. And those people are sort of become this token of, look, we have diversity, or look, we have people that are different than us, or look, we have women. And that may be something that they did intentionally. But at the end of the day, if the culture does not allow them to feel safe, they're not going to stay. And it's not going to help them achieve their diversity and inclusion goals. And so they have to think about how do we bring people that are different into our organization, but also how do we create a culture where they feel like they matter, like they belong, and that they're safe here. Amen to that. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. Such important information that you shared today. We can just see your passion shining and you know, just the, the purpose that you have for what you do is clearly there. Um, let's take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we're going to come back and learn about the personal side of Jessica with what we call our lightning round. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science. So Jessica, this is what we call our lightning round. We get to learn a little bit about you and then figure out how we can connect with you after the show. So first question is, what is your favorite book or one you'd recommend to our listeners today? So there's this book called Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Quinard, who's the creator of Patagonia. And it's a book about the story of Patagonia. But if you're paying attention, it's a book about how you take your organization's values or your personal values and you use them to drive your business. And I think it's a wonderful story laced in with some really cool business principles. Oh, going on the list. How about your favorite vacation spot? So we go every year to the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and we go to the southern side uh, to a town called Waves and rent a house on the beach and sit there in our swimsuits seven days straight. And it's my favorite place. It's very quiet and very relaxing. Uh, How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I'm a runner. So runner, I have two small children. And so it's my escape from the mommy, mommy, mommy. So running gives me some of that release. And I just love being outside. All right. I told you she was passionate. She knows her stuff and so important. These topics are so important and can truly impact engagement on such big levels, uh, turnover, you know, all of those things. So here's my truth you can act on. There's a lot of stuff that she covered today, but here's what I took away. Number one, as leaders, you need to know, don't be afraid it could be so costly. It's so important to ask for feedback and make sure we know the reality of what's happening in our, in our workplace. Number two, make sure that diversity and inclusion is tied to business outcomes and not just a check the box thing, because if we can tie it into our overall business strategy and important KPIs, we're going to have so much more buy-in because it ties to the bigger picture. And number three, unconscious bias. How important is that? Very important. I think teaching our people about it, it's all about awareness. And number four, 
Stop checking the box. Just think about the things that you're doing to check the box around diversity, inclusion, engagement, turnover, whatever those things may be, and rethink it and make it meaningful. It all starts with us at the leadership to make that happen. So with that, another great episode on the books of Gut Plus Science. We'll see you next week. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.